Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. It means a lot to us that you've decided to make this service a part of your spiritual rhythm today. Whether you're live in the room with us, watching online, or at some point in the future. If you are just visiting, this is the kind of place that anyone can call home. If you are curious about church, this is a safe place to check out the claims of Jesus. It's a great place to have doubts and questions about spirituality. If you followed Christ your whole life, this is the kind of place that cares about your spiritual journey. We are committed to helping you grow. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your church home, or if you just have questions, please let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions in the resources section of our website. And now, let's join our service. Now, most of my childhood, it was... Uh, set against the backdrop, most of my memories of my childhood were, were in this little tiny town of Coquille, Oregon. And as I looked back, I really loved growing up in this little itty-bitty small town. And to this day, now living in the second largest city in Oregon, truly kind of blows my mind, right? We have access here to so many things. Like, we have a Walmart here, blows my mind. And I can just go about to any fast food restaurant, now including In-N-Out, wild to me, right? I was so used to this little, the slow pace of little Coquille, Oregon. And one of those vivid memories I have from this time is that I was really scared of the dark. Okay, now, I, I want honest answers here. Ah, oh, no! <laughs> I want honest answers, right? Who here is still scared of the dark in like some fashion, right? Oh, no, there's not. Okay, we see some hands. All right. You're not brave enough. It's okay. Online, if you're scared of the dark, just type me, and I will go back and watch and see who is brave enough to admit it, okay? Now, I was so scared of the dark as a kid that not only did I have a little nightlight, right, that you plug into the socket, but I had a straight-up lamp in my room, right? No dinky little thing. I wanted a glorious 60 watts of light filling my room at night, right? Light was a comfort and truly a friend to me. And today, I'm happy to admit that I have conquered my fear of sleeping in the dark. But that's only because I share a bed with my wife. <laughs> and if a monster is going to, like, attack from under the bed, I have a 50-50 shot of him not getting me. <laughs> now, often, my wife, Laura, will uh, come home, and I, she'll have to go around flipping off all the light switches I had turned on that day. Right? I just, I find light comforting, comforting, like sue me, I don't know, but if we're all honest, even if we are scared of the dark, the reality is that most of the damage the dark will ever do to us is when we accidentally like stub our toe in the middle of the night or we step on a stray Lego on the way to the bathroom in the, in the evening, right? <laughs> we probably won't be great greeted by Freddy Krueger or Jason Voorhees anytime soon, but Halloween is next week, so I, I can't say if that's for sure or not anyways. If you paid attention in Sunday school, you should know that God is bigger than the boogeyman. The truth is, 
Physical darkness is just an everyday part of life that we get to experience. When the sun tucks around the other side of our spinning planet, we get what we call nightfall. Now, now that it's fall, we are losing more and more light every day. We actually are getting around 13 hours of darkness now compared to our 11 hours of sunlight during the day. And the fear of darkness that I had as a kid, or maybe still have, is called nyctophobia, right? There's a good reason why humans fear the darkness. It's because of what happens when we are exposed to constant darkness. Joan Chittister, in her book, Between the Dark and the Daylight, she, uh, she wrote this in her book, and I think it's really revealing to uh, what, what darkness does to us. So she writes, psychologists tell us that one of the most difficult conditions a person can be forced to bear is light deprivation. Darkness, in fact, is often used in military captivity or penal institutions to break down an individual's sense of self. Once a person becomes disoriented, and once they lose a sense of who, where or who they are, and what it is that lurks in the dark around them, or where the next crevasse or wall or attack may be coming from, once they can no longer feel in control of their physical surroundings, a person loses a sense of self. Nothing does more than darkness to isolate us from the sense of human support and understanding, which whether we're commonly conscious of it or not, is one of human beings' main source of self-definition. Right, so if you didn't catch it, to sum it up, it means that light is very important to us as humans. And as the psychologist so aptly points out, without light, we are lost to reality. But what about darkness that isn't physical, right? What about other forms of darkness? Emotional darkness can also be if not more frightening. While experiencing uh, physical darkness, your vision is impaired because there is little or no light to guide you. In emotional darkness, you really can't make out much either. Emotional states like depression, addiction, or deep sadness are all types of emotional darkness. And it's often in these emotionally dark times that God seems so far away. So we cry out to him because we feel alone, maybe even feeling abandoned by him. Why would he let me feel this way? Why would he put me through this? Why would he take blank away? Why wouldn't he protect me? And as a pastor, I have seen this emotional darkness in myself and others many, many times. Times of when people have had to suffer through tremendous losses or deal with the junk that they have been carrying for years. In my personal darkness, it was a season during my young adult years that centered around a porn addiction. My self-worth was wrapped up in what others thought of me. I would see myself as the person being desired, and I was looking for love and acceptance in all the wrong places. In, in darkness, I was looking for it in, in sin. And all I truly wanted at that point was a way out, a way to beat this addiction so that I can move on and feel real love again. But the temptation and false self of sense of being wanted kept me trapped in this sinful pattern for years. And the light seemed so far away, so, so out of reach, even as much as I tried to chase it. And God and I have had a lot of words over the years about it. I'd like just to pause right now and invite God into the darkness of all of our lives because 
we all have dark places. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we learn more about you and your word this morning, God, I just invite you into the darkness. God, each one of us, we have, we have some place where we need you. Whether it's sadness, whether it's a sinful pattern, God, there are dark spots in all of our lives. And God, we may not know why that darkness is even there. But God, we still invite you into it. So God, as we, as we learn more about darkness and light and how to get through it and how to find good things in the darkness, God, just shine your light in our dark world and also in our dark lives. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. In the midst of my personal struggles, I would often cry out to God for help, right? Like, help me, Lord, to escape this pit that I've gotten myself into. And as it turns out, I would turn to the Bible to find help. And it's, there are actually a lot of passages the Bible talks and where it talks about darkness. And in case you ever want to do like a search for a particular topic or uh, like word to see what God's word has to say, there's this fantastic resource that I use and website that's called openbible.info. And in there you can do a word search for scriptures and it'll match your prompt with scriptures. And if you search for the term darkness, you're going to get about a hundred results. But don't worry, we're not going to look at a hundred scriptures of darkness this morning. We're just going to start off with a few. And so we're going to start in 2 Samuel 22, 12. 2 Samuel twenty two twelve says, he opened the heavens and came down and dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. You see, while when life is tough and darkness has surrounded you, it can seem like God has disappeared. God, where are you? Is a common thing we say often. And in this verse, we see that God is over all of it, right? Everything is beneath his feet. And then we continue. Let's just, just jump to Job 19.8. Job 19.8 says, God has blocked my way so I cannot move. He has plunged my path into darkness. Right? This is Job speaking as he goes through his own darkness. He's verbalizing his deep feelings. Right? He blames God for his situation. I mean, you and I, we've, we've never done that, right? We've never blamed God for things we're going through. You see, in our series, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, we discovered that this darkness is sometimes referred to as the dark night of the soul. And if you want to learn more about that, you know, back and watch our series on that. And next, Psalm 13, 3 says, Answer me, O Lord my God. Give me light in my darkness, lest I die. Darkness can make us feel hopeless to the point where we think we can't go on anymore. But the psalmist turns to the one in whom his hope was for sure and asked for that which that would dispel the darkness. He's asking for light. And finally, and I love verses that have symbolism that are like rich with imagery. And this next verse is full of it. And it's a verse we're going to be in quite a bit today. So if you want to turn in your, your Bibles or in your Bible app, it's Isaiah 45.3. And it's beautiful how Isaiah crafts these words. He writes this. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel who calls you by name. 
See, when I think of darkness, I immediately think about escape, right? I don't want to be here. I can't see, I can't feel, I can't sense what's going on. Get me out of here now, right? I want to grab the flashlight and get to safety. Because light feels safer than the dark. You see, when, when Laura and I go camping and I hear sounds outside of our tent in the middle of the night, right, you can bet that I'm praying that the sound I'm hearing is only just a really really loud squirrel, okay? Or I'll be muttering to myself, right? Like, God, get me out of here. God, help me, right? And I'll be scrambling for the flashlight and some bear spray. But when reading this verse, it seems like there is something to find in the darkness. Isaiah says that there are treasures found in the dark. When I read this verse, I think, are you sure? Like, Isaiah, dude, I know, I know you were a prophet and all, but I've, all I found in the darkness is pain, is suffering. There were no precious jewels or gold co- coins from what I went through. Like, there were no treasures or richness at all. But before we throw out this wisdom that Isaiah is trying to give us, we should understand this verse in its context. You see, Isaiah was a prophet during the time of which the nation of Judah was in captivity in Babylon, which was the center of the Mesopotamian civilization, and it's about 60 miles south of modern-day Baghdad. And Judah had turned her back on God. So God used the civilization, the Babylonians, to correct the ways of Judah and restore them to a relationship with God. And during this time, the the land of Persia was ruled by King Cyrus the Great. God said that he was going to use this non-Jewish Gentile king to finally free the people of Judah from the Babylonians. And in Isaiah, in chapter 45, what we just wrote, God is outlining how this was going to happen and how he was going to use this King Cyrus. And God said that Cyrus is going to be very rich and find treasures in the darkness. These treasures are not just going to be out in the open, but rather riches that were hidden away so that King Cyrus would know that it was the God of Israel who is the one in charge. Well, he eventually finds them and he becomes wealthy. He had fulfilled the call had on his life, conquering Babylon and allowing the people of Judah to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And now I personally think we all like a good treasure hunt. I think back to the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. But here in Oregon, there is a legend that a Spanish ship sunk off the coast of Neocani Mountain in 1705. The bounty is gold and other treasures that to this day have yet to be found. They're supposedly left behind. And many have attempted to find this treasure, and some have even lost their lives in an effort to uncover this hidden gold. Now, perhaps this morning we should set off right now to find that treasure and buy like a cool vacation home on the coast. That sounds good to me. And while I think it's pretty cool to see like the backstories of the Bible and how history plays out, understanding King Cyrus and his role, what we really need to know is how this fulfilled prophecy of King Cyrus affects your life and my life today. Right? King Cyrus lived thousands of years ago. So what, is, what about this story applies to us? But the truth is, God is able to enrich all of us with spiritual wealth that is stored in unexpected places so that we can fulfill the calling that he has on our lives, just like he did for Cyrus. These 
Riches, like hidden treasure, are concealed in the darkness, in those places we'd rather not be stuck. We might have to do some work to uncover them, but God promises that they are there and that they can be found. And the reason the treasure at Neocani Mountain hasn't been found is because it's probably hard to access and it's really well hidden. So what does this verse tell us about what we can expect from God in the dark times? What can you and I expect from God in the darkness that comes into all of our lives? Well, this morning we're going to look at four things we can count on God for in our own dark times. And first, you can know and expect that God has concealed treasures in the darkness of our suffering. We can know that. To quote the first part of Isaiah, he says, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places. Okay, I would guess that most of you are familiar with the story of Job. In fact, we already read a verse from his book. So here's a servant, and if you don't know, here's, here's a brief overview. Here's a servant of God who has everything taken away from him. His family, his house, his health, and he's berated and criticized by his four friends who say he must have done something to deserve this wrath of God. And yet, Job remains faithful to God. Even, if Job, even as Job cries out to God, when God finally arrives on the scene to talk to Job, God doesn't give a reason as to why Job is suffering. See, most of the time, we don't get to know why we have darkness in our lives. But here's something Job did know. Okay, in Job 23.10, this is Job speaking about God. He says, but he knows where I am going. And when he tests me, I will come out as pure as gold. See, Job know that, knew in, that in suffering, under the fires of refinement, something beautiful can be formed. He says, I will come out as gold. Like Job, we can see that in times of suffering, there are treasures to be discovered in the hard places and processes of our lives. There are unexpected joys that come even in the midst of heartbreaking circumstances. There can be light that comes in the middle of the darkness. And sometimes, it just so happens, these moments get dropped in our lap, right? We didn't do anything to earn them or even to cause them. And I think back to all the adventures Laura and I have been on so far. And sometimes, as it turns out, our plans go a little awry every once in a while. But then in the middle of being utterly lost, we come to like a beautiful overlook off the beaten path. And it's incredibly beautiful, and we're blessed by it. I often tell people that the most memorable moment of any trip, they're not when things go right, but they're when they go wrong, but yet they somehow turn out great. And while that's great when that happens, when unexpected joy just comes into our life, often we have to dig for the treasure. Right. X may mark the spot, but you still have to get out your shovel and start the hard work of getting to the treasure chest. And Isaiah referred to these as secret places for a reason. They're not just going to fall into our laps. You're not going to be hiking up Neocani Mountain and stumble upon Spanish gold. So what does that look like practically to find these hidden things? Maybe it's going to counseling. Maybe it's going to a Bible study or seeking out a friend 
when you really just want to sit on a couch alone eating ice cream and binging Netflix, not speaking from experience or anything. No, it takes keeping a hopeful eye on the horizon when it seems like all hope is lost. When you've dug down six feet and found nothing but more hurt and more pain. Where is my treasure? Kay Warren, who helped form the framework for this series, was curious about how diamonds are mined. After all, they are precious treasures to a lot of people. And what she found, and I didn't know this, that you have to move 1,750 tons of dirt to come up with a one-carat diamond. That's a lot of dirt. That's a lot of dirt that has to be moved. There's a lot of effort to find even just one diamond. So even if the blessing or treasure is just one more foot underneath the surface, under those painful experiences, under the giant mess, it feels like it takes all the energy we have to find something good hidden in the mess of the brokenness of our lives. But it's worth it. It's true that these treasures can be difficult to discern on like the surface and may take time to like scrape off the mud and see the glimmer of the richness they give us. Often the trauma and pain of circumstances provide us with an opportunity to relate to others who have been going through or are going through similar circumstances. And yes, though going through it sucked, God has helped you get to the other side so that you can help others get to the other side. And I want to read a rather lengthy uh, section from Jerry Sitter's book. It's called A Grace Disguised. And I just want you to listen carefully and see if you can catch a glimpse of one of the treasures to be found in the darkness. He writes this, Community does not simply happen spontaneously, except in rare occurrences when conditions are right. Not even the unique circumstances of catastrophic loss are sufficient to create community. When people suffering loss do find community, it comes as a result of conscious choices that they and other people make. First of all, it requires a choice on the part of those who want to provide a community for suffering friends. They must be, and catch this because this is a really important point here, they must be willing to be changed by someone else's loss, though they may not have been direct, directly affected by it. Good comfort requires empathy, forces adjustment, and sometimes mandates huge sacrifices. Comforters must be prepared to let the pain of another become their own, and so let it transform them. They will never be the same after that decision. Their own world will be permanently altered by the presence of one who suffers. They are changed because they choose to get involved and to allow, and now he's talking about his own personal situation, my suffering to become theirs. They refuse to give me only a month or a year to return to life as it was for me before my own loss, and he lost his mother, his wife, and his daughter all at one time in a car accident. Since they knew life would not be the same for me, his community knew that life would not be the same for him. He says they decided that it would not be the same for them either. You see, God has wired us in such a way that we desperately need one another. We need community. We need relationships. 
We need a place where we feel loved, where we feel valued, especially when the hard times hit. But community can be hard, especially when we are the ones looking into someone else's darkness. The real richness of authentic community is discovered and it's deepened in the darkness. And I would never, ever label myself as a perfectionist. It's not who I am. But there are things in my life that I do put a lot of effort in because I think it needs to be a certain way, even if no one else sees it. Okay, my office here at church is one example. While many of you may never step in a foot into my office, I truly have put in a lot of effort and time into making it a space that is comfortable and calming, at least to me. I spend a lot of time writing my messages for our students in my office, and so I wanted to create a space that is intentional and purposeful for my own soul. And while my students may never be aware of the kind of intentionality that goes into the message, I know it shines through somewhere. But all that is to say is that we can fixate on improving, tweaking, or perfecting things. We are fixers. That's just part of us as humans, I think. And we all want to get rid of problems and just move on. So we look for projects. We do this because of the sense of accomplishment that the checkbox, it feels good. We can check it off and pat ourselves on the back and just like move on to the next thing. And that may work when it comes to like home renovation projects, but not with renovations of the heart. The idea that you can't fix your friend who is suffering is a hard thing to deal with. It'd be so much simpler if you could take out your hammer and just, well, never mind. With that mindset, right, it's easy to rush through the darkness and never find a diamond, to drive the freeway and miss the scenic drive because you're late to dinner in Portland with that important client. We want the easy way, the freeway. We prefer simple and uncomplicated, but instead we need to slow down and be willing to just be with someone in their suffering and not try to fix it. Facing the darkness requires courage for everyone. The person in the dark place and the friend who chooses to sit in it with them. It takes being brave enough to make a decision. To, a decision to take time to care for our friends. To express compassion. Kay Warren says that we are most like Christ when we choose to offer the gift of our presence and choose to absorb in ourselves the suffering of others. This, my friends, is true fellowship. I know there are a lot of you who are experiencing your own season of darkness, and I, I hope you know that I am praying that light will shine in your life. I may not know your circumstance, but I am praying for God to shine in the darkness. But I'm also praying that there will be people who will allow themselves to be changed by what has changed you that they will come alongside you and let what has transformed you transform them. You see, this is bearing one another's burden, being the body of Christ, to let another's grief touch us. So going back to Isaiah 45, this verse we're looking at, Isaiah writes, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places. Now, Pastor Chris and Michelle have been saying this along the way in this series, right? That these treasures may be discovered through the loss of a job or maybe the loss of a friendship. They have been vulnerable to share with you their own losses. 
So maybe for you, it's a loss of health or trouble with finances. It could be a loss of respect or the loss of a spouse. Whatever darkness you are in, just take a second to look around. Shift your focus from the swirling storm and observe the landscape around you. Look for treasures. And to continue in this verse, Isaiah says that he gives us these treasures for a purpose, right? He says, I will give you treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know, right? To know. That's how we get through what we're going through. It's based on what we know. So let's go through these two more truths that you need to know. Truths that will help you get through any darkness that you're experiencing. Again, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel. God here is saying that he's all there is. He is the God of Israel. He is over all of it. There is no one like our God. Right? God is what we call transcendent. He's beyond space and time. His thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our ways. Now, God has the power to intervene in our darkness. And this next verse we're going to look at is what the kids call a flex, okay? A flex is simply when someone shows off their skill or power they have, and God, as it turns out, has a lot of power. So Isaiah 57, 15 says, the high and lofty one who lives in eternity, the holy one says this, I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. Again, God is, God's it. He's the alpha. He's the omega. So it would make sense that he could transform your darkness as well. Right? He could enter into the storm and pull you out or at least throw you a flotation device and when you feel like you're about to drown and like pull you back in. And when I think about this idea of God intervening, I think back to before King Cyrus showed up to conquer the Babylonians and eventually set God's people free from captivity. Four young men of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah are chosen for the king's service. And through Daniel's gift of interpreting dreams, these men grew in power in Babylon. But the king wasn't just satisfied with conquering Israel, no. He wanted their worship and their adoration. You see, the king had ordered a 90-foot idol to be made. Then he gathered all of his officials to come and worship at its commissioning, including our newly renamed friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you may know them as Radshack and Benny if you ever watched VeggieTales growing up. Is that my second VeggieTales reference? Wow, good for me. Anyways, <laughs> these guys, they faced a real problem. They were Jews who worshipped Yahweh and no other gods. I can imagine that it's at this point their souls were really starting to get heavy at the thought of bowing down to this idol and not being willing to bow down to this idol. Not only that, but their, their friend Daniel was not with them. And then the bar was raised even further, right? The king said that those who did not bow were to be thrown into the blazing furnace. Again, I can only imagine the thoughts racing through their minds. 
They were about to potentially lose their lives. Listen, I know where I'm going when I leave this world, but being thrown into a fire is low on the list of the ways I'd like to go. And I know I would be facing all sorts of emotions and grief heading into this situation. Well, they would not bow. And the king is furious, and he cranks the furnace up seven times hotter than normal. And then they're bound and thrown into the furnace to burn and die. But then God shows up in a mighty, mighty way. The king and everyone else peeks into the furnace. For some reason, there are now four people walking around in the fire. And one of them looks like a son of the gods. Then they walk out unscathed, perfectly okay, not even the smell of smoke on their clothes. You see, God showed up. God intervened. I know that there are stories here in this room that also show that God still performs miracles. Cancers suddenly disappear. Healings take place that doctors have never seen. The relationships have been saved when there was no hope. Right? I personally in my own life, had my umbilical cord wrapped around my neck when I was being born, and an emergency section was performed, C-section was performed to save my life. It also turns out that my birthday is the same date that my mother had lost a baby years earlier, a baby she named Jennifer. And I was a miracle for my mom. Love you, Mom. So in your darkness, Ask our mighty God who shows up in furnaces to flan, fan the flames away to do the same in your own life. Ask that he would intervene in such a way that only a God like our God could get credit for it. Because sometimes that's how God shows up, in ways that we beg him to. But on the, on the flip side, sometimes he doesn't intervene. And that's really, really hard. In the furnace story that we just read, the boys were ready to die. And here's how they respond. In Daniel 3, 14 through 17, here's what the scriptures say. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then, what God will be able to rescue you from my power? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. So check out the first words from verse 18, right? Even if he doesn't. See, they were ready for the possibility and they faced death for it. What if it was you in that situation? How would you respond when God doesn't? intervene. And this leads us to the next thing we need to know. Again, I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches from secret places so that you may know that I am the Lord. I am the God of Israel who calls you by name. You see, 
God will be close to us in our darkness, whether he intervenes miraculously or not. And in this verse, we, we see and we observe this incredible God who's over everything, the God of Israel, but then he makes it personal, right? He calls you by name because God is near. And names, they're, this, they're a big deal and they're really intimate. My name means gift of God or God has given because of the story I shared earlier about my birth. But my full name is actually Jonathan and there's only one person on this earth who still calls me that and that's my mom. But there's someone not of this world who calls me by my name, and that is God. This, trans this trans transcendent creator who formed me in my mother's womb and knew me before I was born, he is close and near, and he knows your name. And he knows you by name. And Acts 17, 27 says that his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. And while we typically reflect on Emmanuel, God with us at Christmas time, his presence is with us continually. This big God who can do all things and in all things and he's transcendent, and he can intervene in our lives. He, he's personal. He's, in fact, here with us right now. And this means that when we know he has actually hidden riches in the darkness of our lives, that he wants to have this deep personal relationship with us, it truly should lead us to one place. And that one place is to his feet and to worship. You see, what we know leads us to worship. Okay, here's what I mean. Let's look back at the story of Job one more time and see what his reaction was to all the pain in his life. Job 1, 20 through 21 says that Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. See, my, in my own experience of darkness and grief, the one thing I could never give up was worship. Right? Here we see that, God, that Job, he gave up his hair, he gave up his clothes, but he didn't give up worship. In my own darkness, I usually gave up my social life. Right? Again, I would sit in my room on my bed without my friends, but I knew that God was still with me, so I'd break out my guitar and sing. I would give up a desire for food. I could skip a meal because worrying about what I was going to eat next was not high in my priorities. I would also give up my desires. Did I lose my desire to go on hikes? Yeah, all the time. Did I lose my interests and my passions? I sure did. But of course, my worship manifested in different ways. I, I wrestled with God. I, I lamented. I would blast worship music in my car, and I would go to church to be with fellow believers. Those experiences of time with God were blessings. They were a light in the darkness. You see, there are so many things we can worship God for. We can praise him because he is good. We can praise him because he is all-powerful and that he knows every detail of our lives, that he's in control and has a plan for our lives. We can also praise him because he will protect us. The prophet Habakkuk expresses his worship to God 
in this way. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18 says, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, there are no grapes on the vines. Even though the oil crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. The danger with trauma is, and in pain is that it's easy to stay in it and just let it consume you. Sometimes simply just lifting your head and setting your mind to find any good thing in the midst of a bad situation is extremely difficult. But when we must choose and try and see them, see the treasures, even when the pain is deep, when the pain is strong, because only you can find the good and the bad. Other people can help guide you, but only you can receive the treasures. You are the only one who can speak over your life and say, God, I believe that there, you have concealed treasures in this darkness. There are secret riches hidden in the suffering. Because I believe it, I will be open to that, per, that possibility. And see, if you are a believer, choose to see our God as the transcendent God who is above all, including your suffering. And whether he intervenes or not, we know that he is close. He's as close as the next breath in your lungs. So let me offer you one more bit of encouragement from the book of Psalms as we close. And as been mentioned before, the Psalms are a great resource when you experience grief, loss, and pain in your life. This verse is one we all know in some level probably, so you'll say it with me. Psalm 23, 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Death of all kinds is all around us. And you may not know it yet, but the journey to this place can come quickly and unexpectedly. Perhaps even tomorrow or in a week or in a month, either you or someone you know will be walking through the valley of death the death of a loved one, the death of a relationship. It's a dark valley. But rather than being fearful of the darkness, we have this. God revealing himself to us in the midst of our grief, of our loss and darkness. You know, I don't have to be afraid because he's right there with me. He's guiding my way, a treasure in the valley of the shadow, even when I can't see him. You see, when Laura and I had the op amazing opportunity to visit New Zealand, we visited a very rare biological preserve that features the coolest animal ever, the glowworm. And when, when we stepped into the caves, we only had a few lights amongst our whole group, and at one point we even turned them off. And I don't know you if you have ever experienced the darkness of a cave, but it's true darkness. There's zero light. If you held your hand like one inch from your face, you could not see it. It's that dark. But then, when we looked up, we started to see these little blue dots reveal themselves. And after a few minutes of observing, a whole Milky Way galaxy of blue little bugs were glowing on the ceiling of this cave. And I can think of no better illustration of the treasures in the darkness. You see, Laura and I, we could have kept our heads down and never seen the beauty that existed above us that could literally guide us through the darkness. 
I mean it. These little bugs were, were so bright that we could see through it. It was incredible. So I have one closing thought from Isaiah. In Isaiah 50.10, it closes with this. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. Some of, me, some of you in this room or watching online are struggling with really hard things. Again, maybe it's finances or circumstances with your kids or just this deep aching sadness that won't go away. You lie awake at night or you sleep too much, but either way, you find the pitch black darkness overwhelming and you've been walking in this dark for a while. You've become used to just covering it up. You just keep pushing on. But we need to get through what we're going through, even when it's frightening or when it's scary. So walk with God and rely on him and find those blessings along the way because there is blessing in the pain. I think, think to the band Switchfoot, who puts his best in one of their song lyrics. They say, the wound is where the light shines through, but the wound is where the light finds you. Let's pray. Lord, the darkness is dark. God, we can observe that all throughout our world, but also in our own lives. That God, it is so difficult to see any good when we're going through the bad, but God, you have promised us that there are blessings to find. So God, together as a community here at Dayspring, let us walk along each other. Let us guide each other to find these blessings. And God, may you shine in the darkness and help us out of it to, to see those treasures that you have put there. God, we love you, and we thank you for the blessings that occur in our lives. It's in your heavenly name we pray. Amen. Once again, thank you for joining us in worship today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Thank you for your financial support of our ministries. God does great things in people's lives because of your faithfulness. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, like, and share this service wherever you watch it. The message of Jesus is too good to keep to ourselves. He is the best answer to all of life's challenges. We'll see you next week. Go in the grace of God.